only thing we can be sure of about the future is that it will be absolutely fantastic. Five, four, three, two, one. Great. Well, this is uh, a special edition of Into the Impossible, the podcast of the Arthur C. Clarke Center for Human Imagination, which is a, a center at the campus of UC San Diego, and the first possibly only of its kind. And certainly we were one of the first podcasts in the University of California system. Very proud of that. And I'm especially proud to be welcoming our special guest today, Julianne Guthrie, who has not only been an inspiring mentor to me as a writer, has helped me out uh, with my writing, and uh, we'll maybe get into her process a little bit, but she's also uh, a, a friend and, and a huge supporter of the mission, which is really to inspire people to the greatest human potential that they have. And that is really one of the deepest missions, both of the Clark Center, of Arthur C. Clark himself, and of what we're trying to do at the University of California here in San Diego. So, Julianne, and it's great pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for coming back to San Diego. It was last time we were together was about three or four years ago. I cannot believe how time has flown, and you look exactly the same. Oh, but I, I've, well, I've, I've aged horribly. But but the uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's been fun. And um, thank you for having me back. It's just phenomenal. So we're having you here on the occasion of the launch of your which book is this? This is my fourth. Fourth book. Yes. Wow. Unbelievable. Fourth nonfiction book. That is incredible. And, and my favorite. That's what you have to say about the <laughs> Every newest book. arrival, That's right. right? That's right. Same with children, right? Yes. You have to say each one is your favorite. <laughs> um, so this is called Alpha Girls, the women upstarts who took on Silicon Valley's male culture and made the deals of a lifetime. And I think what's so wonderful about this book, and I had a chance to read it before it came out and really fell in love with it. And you know, to be honest with you, when I first heard that you were writing it, I thought if anyone could write this book, it's you. You, but I was curious how you went from this book after pivoting to this book after having written about the race to privatize space flight and before that writing about Larry Ellison and uh, what inspired you to write this book? It's just such a phenomenal uh, change of pace for you. So I actually was inspired to write Alpha Girls by my experience promoting how to make a spaceship. Mm -hmm. And I would be out at events with Peter Diamandis, the extraordinary, of course, founder of the XPRIZE and the really the protagonist of how to make a spaceship. And I would see these, you know, there would be crowds, big and small, and there would be, you know, so few women and there would be entrepreneurs and there would be startup folks and there would be engineers and of course aerospace geeks i say that fondly <laughs> and i was like where are all the women you know these are such dynamic industries so to see this disparity or this underrepresentation what really got me thinking like why are women not represented in um, equal numbers or any level of parity in these dynamic industries? What does it mean? So I started thinking about it in that way. And then being a journalist in San Francisco for so many years, of course, tech was my backyard. Um, so I wasn't oblivious to this factor mm -hmm. of so few women in tech. But I thought it would be really interesting to find a field, um, kind of a a microcosm of this bigger issue and really focus in and I zeroed in on venture capital as this area where really the people the venture capitalists have this outsized influence on how we all live shaping everything from you know the way we communicate to the cars we drive to the medical devices we may one day need so then I started finding who are the women 
94% of all venture capitalists who write the checks, who control the money are men. But that made me think, well, 6% then mm -hmm. are women and who are they? And what does this world look like to them? Mm -hmm. um, and to tell their stories. So that's how I got into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the fact that it took place, you know, amidst this technological milieu and blowing uh, uh, through the valley at that time in the 80s and 90s. Um, but what was so, you know, striking to me, and I know Peter personally uh, as, as, as a friend, you know, he... I feel like this book was more personal than your previous book, maybe maybe than any of your books so far, because you really got to know the characters, or the the reader starts to get to know the characters. And I don't want to give. I hate when podcasts, you know, uh, I'll just give an aside to the you know when when interviewers say, you know, can you tell us exactly what your entire book's about and uh, <laughs> the entire plot, themes, and narratives, and give away anything so that my reader listeners don't have to buy it. So I don't want to give away too much, but. It's 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 at times you know incredibly inspirational, but you get so deeply invested in them that I mean some of it is tragic and and sad, and I found myself being emotional. I mean, how do you uh, dissociate kind of the the different characters that you got to meet, and they're all all four women that are really the main protagonists of this book? How did you keep track of it all? I mean, with Peter, it's mm -hmm. a single focus; he's mm -hmm. very dynamic, mm -hmm. and each one of these women is like a you know I want to say a female Peter, but mm -hmm. they're they're each as compelling, if not more so. So, how did you manage that? Well, I felt that, like, with How to Make a Spaceship, while Peter Diamandis is the main character, and this is nonfiction, so I say character, mm -hmm. um, I mean, he's a true, real person. Right, his uh, <laughs> But I did have great secondary characters mm -hmm. with that. I had Burt Rattan, I had Eric Lindbergh, mm -hmm. I had Mike Melville, I had Brian Benny. Um, so I felt like I wrote many biographies mm -hmm. on each of those mm -hmm. really incredible individuals mm -hmm. for How to Make a Spaceship. And the similar, The Billionaire and the Mechanic, my book about Larry Ellison and his quest for the America's Cup, there I had two principal figures mm -hmm. of the book, Larry Ellison and the mechanic um, Norbert Byron. Mm -hmm. And so I went back and forth in the structure of the book with that. So Alpha Girls was... It was like writing four biographies or helping them mm -hmm. with four memoirs, really, yeah. because it was so personal. Um, and the structure of it is chronological, but it was really tricky because they come onto the canvas of Silicon Valley at different times. Mm -hmm. They're very different women with very different backstories, different investment methodologies, um, different approaches and very different challenges, mm -hmm. um, sometimes different betrayals that they faced. Mm -hmm. So I set it up chronological, um, alternating from one woman's story to the next. And mm -hmm. as you noted, the stories got very personal. But I write in a novelistic way mm -hmm. so that I think with How to Make a Spaceship, you know, you learned about um, Peter Diamandis's you know, triumphs and his failures and the challenges, and you learned about the backstory of Burt Rattan. So that's always how, that's my, my MO. Mm -hmm. That's how I go about writing, is to understand who the people are. They're always very character-driven. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then cool technology in the background. Yeah, right. I happen that's to gravitate a, to that. Underdog stories with really cool technology. <laughs> that unite and have an ultimately very helpful uh, message and culmination. So, when you're constructing the book and you're going through the research process, well, I do want to get to your actual process because you're incredibly uh, inspiring and, and productive. And I think that to produce, you know, consistently, high, extremely high quality, high interest, 
and appealing works is, is just an extremely rare skill, and it's led up to uh, a movie that we'll talk about uh, based on this book. Um, hopefully, we'll get to by the end. Um, but what what were some of the surprising things that you didn't maybe expect along the way, or when you first started with the book proposal and and you made the pitch, sort of maybe first to yourself, what was surprising, and then what maybe surprised others along this the process of making this book come to come to life so vibrantly. This book was the biggest surprise to me. The story was the biggest surprise to me. The research was. It really has changed the way I look at the world. Um, I say that with all honesty. You know, each book changed me and brought something to me, but this opened my eyes in ways that I hadn't anticipated. In particular, the ridiculous barriers that women face today, have faced, and how persistent those barriers are, and the... Um, challenges that women face, how women are underrepresented uh, at the top levels in so many industries. Um, so that was a revelation to me. It feels like it's a call to action. I mean, I'm a journalist. I didn't get into as, into this as an activist, but I kind of walked out of it with all of these issues and all of these women and all of these struggles and their successes um, that are very much a part of me. And so that was really surprising. It was it was it was also surprising to see, in a way, these great success stories because you don't hear about them in Silicon Valley. You hear about how inhospitable <laughs> Silicon Valley and tech, how those fields are, or those how that is mm -hmm. to women. Yeah. And here are women who love tech, love venture capital, love as venture capitalists um, finding those startups that potentially will become something important, something that will make the world a better place, mm -hmm. um, that will bring us something new, mentoring the entrepreneurs, um, you know, how they love that, despite the barriers, despite the hardships, really love the industry and figured out how to succeed mm -hmm. in the industry. So that's also a story that's seldom, really seldom told. Mm -hmm. One thing that surprised me, and I was, you know, confidentially now we're you know hopefully thousands of people will watch this but when you told me the the idea for the book um and I got a chance to read it at first I was worried you know hearing these kind of which I took to be horror stories of Sheryl Sandberg the mm -hmm. reaction to her book you know lean in and I felt she took incredible heat and completely undeservedly so um it ended up making her stronger and but I find you know Everything I'm seeing online and, and social media and elsewhere, people are just reacting with such, you know, warmth to this book. And I wonder, you know, that was pleasantly surprising mm -hmm. to me because the last thing I wanted is one of my friends to get all this, you know, <laughs> well, she doesn't, you know. Uh, and, and so that surprised me. I'm glad it didn't, you know, maybe it didn't happen and so far it didn't surprise you. <laughs> but well, you never were you know. worried about a backlash at any point to, to these stories? You know, the, the whole survivorship bias, well, these women made it, but most women don't. So, you know, is there, was there ever concern in, around those you know kind of parameters for you I wasn't concerned about that but the women themselves were definitely concerned about that mm -hmm. you know the hardest thing about this book was getting the women to be really honest mm -hmm. about their stories and their shortcomings mm -hmm. you know they could talk all day about their successes mm -hmm. although even that women have held themselves back really? and not been mm -hmm. seekers of the spotlight and right. have even shunned the spotlight because they didn't want to stand out as women because they were trying to fit in with the guys. Mm -hmm. But the women had a very, very difficult time um, seeing the importance of 
telling the complete picture. And that is when they were down, when they were hurt, when they were sick, when they were diagnosed with cancer, uh, when they were getting a divorce, where did they make a mistake? How were they pulled back from the, from the glass ceiling, maybe by someone closest to them? Because unlike hidden figures, where you had these incredible women, you know, helping to get John Glenn into space, women mathematicians, you know, that was 50 years ago, 50 plus years ago. And these women are working in the industry today, and it's still a male-dominated industry. So the women were, had great trepidation about their stories being out there and being very honest and on occasion naming names. You know, there are a lot of good guys in the book, and then there's some guys who didn't behave so well. Um, so there was fear more. The, the women had fear. I didn't so much, although I was on such a tight deadline <laughs> that I just had right. to think about the fear of not finishing the book. That's right. fear of editor. <laughs> so there's a, you know, very uh, true trope, in my opinion, you know, the old joke, you know, how do you tell if, uh, if an engineer is outgoing? It's because he looks at your shoes instead of his when he talks to you. Um, no offense <laughs> to anybody out there. Um, I'm kind of like that myself. But are, are, did you note similarities? I mean, were these women introverted the way that we think of, you know, this classic stereotypical? So, I mean, some of them had a financial background. Only some had a technical background. Some had both, uh, especially the ones on the engineering side that came more from that culture. What kind of commonalities did you note with people like Ellison and, and other and Diamandes and the, the kind of male stereotypical, uh, you know, as I said, introvert, although those guys are not now introverts, uh, but but in the past, I think that they were. Well, really different models of success, mm -hmm. which is another super interesting thing about that contrasts this book to my prior works mm -hmm. um, that happen to be more male, male dominated. Uh, and that is with like Larry Ellison and with Peter Diamandis, certainly with Elon Musk, uh, with some of the other kind of titans of the industry who I've interviewed, their success was more kind of standing on the outside, <clears throat> not uh, backing down, not particularly a collaborative model, creating something out of nothing. <laughs> where it was fascinating to me because the women who succeeded, and I can talk about their commonalities, but I just noticed a difference in how how they succeeded in this male-dominated industry. They succeeded really one incremental step at a time, but those small victories really added up to something significant. You know, it was as, as if they had to get in almost through like Trojan horse <laughs> Um, analogy here where they had to get their foot in the door mm -hmm. and they had to learn how to perform. They had to learn um, how to play by the rules that were, you know, established by others, in this case, men. And they got really good at that. Um, and they got so good, in fact, that now they're kind of rewriting those rules. Right. But it was more of this, uh, what I now call an everyday radical, or mm -hmm. there's a term, a tempered radical, mm -hmm. where you're affecting change as you go, uh, you're, but you're kind of rocking the boat without being tossed overboard. Mm -hmm. It is, exactly. Mm -hmm. It's evolutionary. I like the way you put that. Um, in terms of what the women had in common with each other and with the, some of the male visionaries who I've written about is, first of all, a love of what they're doing and a passion and certitude uh, that they're in the right field, even mm -hmm. if you're surrounded by naysayers. 
Um, so they had that. And then the women just among themselves also had a few things in common that were really key to their success mm -hmm. and that may sound somewhat, I don't know about trivial, but that were really, really key tools they used. One was humor, mm -hmm. really using humor to sometimes diffuse tense situations mm -hmm. with the guys, um, knowing when to take issue with something and when to let it go, like you know, an off-color joke. Do you take mm -hmm. issue with it or do you uh, let it go? So they were brilliant at like knowing when to do what. Um, and so there were commonalities like that, um, humor, uh, when to take issue with something, kind of eyes on the prize mentality mm -hmm. of, of, you know, keeping your sense of what your goal is. Also specializing. These women really specialized in mm -hmm. a field mm -hmm. and in investment um, opportunities. So, you know, for one, it was cybersecurity. For one, it was kind of internet infrastructure stuff, making the internet uh, safer and faster. Um, so they each figured out, which is a great, which is a great lesson for women, is really, you know, figure out a specialty, make something your own. And sometimes they found that being a woman in these, you know, like Teresa Gao in cybersecurity, she would go to these conferences and... Um, and industry events, and she was the only woman in the room. And sometimes, because she really knew her stuff, uh, and she was a woman, she stood out. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't always a disadvantage right. to, uh, you know, being a woman. Mm -hmm. And that allowed her to, right, to really be portrayed in mm -hmm. accurate light, which is which is beneficial to the companies and the firms that were hiring them, which is, um, which is ultimately, I think, one of the biggest penalties for people that do discriminate is it ends up being one of the worst things that they can do for their own cause. And if they had a more, you know, enlightened view, they would never do so in the beginning, but certainly they would, uh, you know, I, I think it would be uh, a much kinder, gentler culture for, for everyone involved. Well, but there's I, also the bottom line yeah, financially. That's like right. Yeah. Companies that are more diverse in the top management levels are also more profitable. More profitable so if you don't mm -hmm. believe, you know, if you don't believe in diversifying, you know, as a moral or ethical right. imperative, then, um, you know, there's the bottom line exactly. that it, that it, it's you know research shows that it's you're more profitable the more diverse you are mm -hmm. at the top management level how have things changed now um besides the obvious sort of new thing to me at least was this sort of sisterhood that seems to mm -hmm. emerge and i don't want to give too much away but but now there is this kind of you know uh, self-supporting and 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 positive feedback network that's been developed I wonder, you know, if you had a daughter that was, you know, getting ready or a friend or, you know, your sister or whatever uh, that was thinking about going to the Valley and thinking about being in venture capital. I mean, is it a place that you would recommend? Uh, have things changed enough to be, you know, I mean, hopefully with the heralding of your book that, you know, eyes have been open. But is it a place that is filled with toxic masculinity? Is, is it really, is it, or is it, is it something that's fundamentally different from what the struggles that these four women faced? I would absolutely say it's a great place for women, both tech and venture capital. I mean, I think it is exciting. Um, it is, again, you're playing a role in, in shaping the future. You're, there's an element of journalism to it where you're parachuting into these different mm -hmm. worlds. Mm -hmm. Let's say you're hearing pitches on all these different companies, and you have to become an expert in that very quickly, gather a lot of information, assimilate the information, understand it uh, pretty readily, make a decision on it, in my case, write a story about it. Um, 
But it's exciting, you know, intellectually, going into all of these different fields, dealing with entrepreneurs who are generally great optimists and dreamers mm -hmm. and um, you hope very technologically savvy and market savvy as well. So it's really exciting. I don't think there, I don't think there is that toxic masculinity. Mm -hmm. um, I think that was probably, um, what happens is there's this, when there is this uh, gender imbalance, there's a power dynamic uh, that is unhealthy, veering on toxic, uh, that has been outed in so many different industries, and it certainly has been in Silicon Valley. Um, but I think it's a great place for women to work, and I know a ton of great guys who are also trying to bring in more women, to bring in more diversity, gender, um, racial diversity as well. So it can't be a conversation, you know, by her, for her, with her. It has to be a conversation between men and women at the table, and it has to be sincere. Having said all of that, you know, still to this day, when I started my reporting two years ago, it was 94% of all investing partners were men. Today it's 92%. Mm -hmm. So there's been an incremental gain, but that's still it's going in the right direction. What yeah. the worry is is that there is this tokenism mm -hmm. that, oh, we have our one-woman partner now, now right. that the spotlight is on this issue, mm -hmm. and so we can check that box. Yes. And you don't really start to affect change with only one. You need at least two for a quorum, mm -hmm. and to have any sort of institutional cultural change, um, it requires that. But the sisterhood is fantastic, mm -hmm. and that's happening across industries mm -hmm. that I see, whether in home building or whether in advertising or law or medicine mm -hmm. or, you know, I don't know if you, what you see on this, but certainly in venture capital and tech, there's really great sisterhood networking opportunities that just didn't exist before. And from your kind of insider's glimpse that you got to see, I mean, it's not a major that we offer here, you know, pre-VC, you know, it's not uh -huh. a degree we can get. So it sounds like, you know, to be, if you're giving advice to a woman or a man, what sorts of skill sets, it sounds like being a generalist and knowing a lot and be, having a diversive curiosity where you really want to understand different aspects, not only focused on one narrow, but, you know, but very deep aspect of, of your, of your studies. What advice would you give to people, men and women seeking this field as a profession, since it isn't, you know, something you can just take out of the course catalog? Be entrepreneurial yourself. Mm. Um, it's ideal if you have some technical skills, specialty, um, MBA mm -hmm. is three of the four of my main alpha girls, uh, had MBAs. One did not had an electrical engineering degree, mm -hmm. um, but was probably was of the four for sure. The most successful entrepreneur, um, who also helped Mark Benioff mm -hmm. found a kind of a big company called salesforce.com. Um, but just personality-wise, um, I think inquisitive, kind of insatiably curious mm -hmm. about the world, about where we're going, um, voracious reader, and an interest in what's the next technology coming down the pipeline, a sense of globally trends, where are we, what's next. That's why I think it's so dynamic. Mm -hmm. I think it's a really incredible field, actually. Yeah, it's such a 
broad wealth of, of, mm -hmm. of, of expertise. Um, so because I'm selfish, I want to ask some questions for myself. So I want to know uh, a little bit more, if you could explain a little bit more about your process and how do you do the, all these incredible projects that you're involved with? Do you have a set schedule? Do you work only under deadline at the last minute? How do you work? Uh, how does it go for you? So I get my idea and then I write a proposal and then that goes out and hopefully sells. Mm -hmm. And then I start in earnest Although I do a lot of research on the proposal stage just to understand what the story is and knowing that you have to live with it for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And the characters. So you, and the fig, yeah, and the characters. Um, so it has to have longevity. And for me, I also want books that stand the test of time yes. in terms yeah. of the messages mm -hmm. and the people. And, um, and then I am always, I have this kind of dream vision, dream where I'll actually do all my reporting and finish my reporting and then I start writing. <laughs> and it's like clean cut like that, but that never happens. <laughs> um, I'm always reporting as I'm writing, yeah. even up till the <laughs> very, very end. And I don't have, I mean, I spend more and more time staring at that, um, that screen mm -hmm. That formidable white screen. Cursor. Yes. Cursing, yeah, cursing the cursor. <laughs> um, as the deadline nears. But I've been cranking out, you know, I think I've had four books in eight or nine years, mm -hmm. and it's pretty grueling. Um, it's really fantastic to see it start coming together. People ask me if it's fun. Mm -hmm. um, it's fun learning. Learning's fun. Yeah. But it's just a it's it's um, I feel such a sense of um, drive, personal drive, to do better each time, mm -hmm. if that's possible. And I put that on myself. Um, and then just, you know, sometimes it's just, it's just time, you know, it's time. You have to, you can't, it's, it's, you really have to concentrate, as you know, mm -hmm. having, you've done this and did this very success, successfully, um, takes a lot from you. Yeah. But it's so rewarding. You'll have to tell me your favorite moment. <laughs> but my favorite moment of the whole process, mm -hmm. the best moment that makes it all worthwhile, um, is similar, I suppose, to having a child where mm -hmm. you get to hold the book when I get that one copy or a few mm -hmm. copies delivered. And it's like it goes from this idea, something I was just carrying around in my mind, and then I start putting onto paper, and then... Um, each word adds up to something and then you're holding a book and I peel, you know, peel that FedEx open and I'm like, my book <laughs> my is book. here. And that's, uh, to me, it's just like, that's a perfect moment. Yeah. I always say, you know, it's the closest men can ever get to having a child because <laughs> men are such wimps. <laughs> we can't take the pain. What's um, your, what was your favorite part? I think for me, it was a combination of kind of gra gratification, certainly that moment yeah. of getting it and then, you know, showing it to my kids and my wife that it actually existed. But then having people <laughs> write to me and yes. say things like, you know, my father told me, you know, unless I were to win a Nobel Prize, this young lady told me, uh, I won't be a good scientist. And so it's not even worth trying uh. to become a scientist. And I wish I had your book 10 years earlier. Uh, because I would have been a scientist, you would have uh, inspired me to continue with it. Those kind of things are really gratifying. Yes. I mean, you hope that there's someone in the future. You know, I've I've heard it said that you know most authors will trade you know a hundred readers a year from now for one reader a hundred mm. years from now. So mm. that kind of perennial, oh, I like you know, that. You know that 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 attitude mm -hmm. of longevity mm -hmm. that you spoke about, which mm -hmm. I think all of your books, um, you know, uh, hold within them. 
Um, I want to finish up because we're gonna. You're going off to a big speech you're giving here in front of uh, more than a hundred people at the uh, UC San Diego's medical school of all places. You'll be surrounded <laughs> by biotech. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we won't need much uh, medical assistance. But um, word has it uh, that you're make, working on a film adaptation or a version of this of this book of your most recent book, Alpha Girls. Can you tell us anything about it, or is the are these things top secret? I don't no, know no, much I about can. <laughs> so Alpha Girls feels like a different sort of book to me. It feels like it's a movement mm -hmm. or part of a movement yes. yeah. feels um, bigger in a way like it's far bigger than than me than I am mm -hmm. and it feels um, like the momentum just continues to grow so very exciting on the adaptation side so the book was adapt uh, is being adapted for television for a multi-season series um, I have to get the lingo down, yes, yes. <laughs> but I went with a woman who, a woman, mm -hmm. and she's one of three women in history to have won an Academy Award as a producer, oh, wow. which is wrong. Yeah, Only yeah, three yeah, women right. in mm -hmm. history. Her name is Kathy Shulman. She's extraordinary. Mm -hmm. She is an alpha girl. She <laughs> has lived this, this, she's lived this story in her own way as so many women have. It mm -hmm. cuts across industries, but in Hollywood, a woman trying to make it again in this male dominated world and she's done so. So she got the story. She gets the story. Um, we'll have a big announcement, uh, with the, on the development side mm -hmm. any day now which wow. I'm very excited about, but it's moving forward and a talented screenwriter is involved, also a woman. So it's it's been fun mm -hmm. um, introducing those women to to the Alpha Girls and seeing this, uh, this be adapted for a different medium. Mm -hmm. So it's really an honor Yeah, and well, a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, it's all well-deserved. As you said, I think that's really the apt word. I mean, I saw a picture of a senator and presidential candidate, Kirsten Gillibrand, uh, holding a copy of your book with a young uh, uh, yeah, young lady supporter yeah. of hers and yours. But uh, it's true. You started a movement. And that's pretty rare that you get to start a movement in any field, but let alone one as competitive and as and as sort of uh, intense as, as writing and, and bringing together not only a work of literature, a work of scholarship and journalism, but also to create a uh, passion and have others share in that vision. I really commend you for that. And Thank uh, you. it's just such a wonderful uh, experience to get to know you and have you here at UC San Diego. Thank you. And I want to thank you again for coming down here from the Bay Area. And we're really very much looking forward to your talk. And if it's not online by the time you see this, uh, it will be <laughs> uh, posted on the Arthur C. Clarke Center for Human Imagination's website, Into the Impossible. I'm Professor Brian Keating, and this is Julianne Guthrie. And we thank you for, uh, for tuning in today. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you, Julian. The only thing we can be sure of about the future is that it will be absolutely fantastic. Five, four, three, two, one.